All right. Let's pray, Father, we come before in the name of Jesus. We thank you for all the amazing things you're doing around us. Thank you for all the amazing things that you're doing in our country right now. Help us not to miss anything. What a tragedy it would be to miss a great work of God. So we thank you that you're moving in unique ways that people haven't seen in decades. Some parts of the church, 100 years. Let us jump right in the middle of it, Lord, and be very sensitive to your spirit so we can participate with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, yeah, I was praying and I had something all ready to go this morning. And I have a scripture that I can't shake. So, um, if you think this is for you, probably is. Um, when the Holy Spirit speaks... At any church where the Holy Spirit works, sometimes people feel like the pastor was reading their mail or looking into their soul. Um, it's the Holy Spirit. That's called the anointing, and the pastor has no idea who he's talking to, but he has to do what the Lord tells him to do. So um, I'm going to read. I'll read a scripture for you. I can I have my glasses. Yep. Okay. Father, help us to be humble and hear. Your word says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. With humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Your word is able to save us. And you say, don't get mad when it comes. So I just pray that no one would bow up. They'd, they'd realize that it's like the doctor saying, we've got to do surgery. These are your words. These aren't man's words. These are the very words of God. So let them have their way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's, sister's, neighbor's eye? And do not notice the log for those of you on who are going to listen to the video, I'm holding up a big two by four in front of my eye. Do not notice a log in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Behold the logs in your own eye. You hypocrite. Take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it doesn't say we can't ever say anything to anyone about a problem. What it is clearly saying is stop making judgments on anyone else until your house is clean. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Don't talk about how bad your mom and dad were. Don't talk about how bad the pastor or the elders or the deacons or this church or the church you were at is. Don't talk about your ex. That's what it says. And see, when this kind of thing makes people mad at me or any other pastor that reads that passage and really holds people's feet to the fire, I didn't make that up. Who did? Who? Who? Yeah, Jesus. Those are his words. Don't get mad at me. I'm the messenger. Jesus said it. He says, until you clean your house up, stop making judgments about other people. Why? Because you can't. You have no ability. Your system 
to evaluate and discern is fried until your house is clean. If your house isn't clean, don't do this. If you keep doing this, you're never going to really fix your biggest problem, which is you. And you're never going to be able to help anybody else. You're just going to cause a lot of fights because you're always going to be condemning and then and then growing the bitterness. The Bible calls it a root of bitterness. The Bible says, fix the one person in the universe you can fix. There is one person that God has given you the ability to clean house on. Paul tells us to Timothy, if a man purifies himself from these things, and of course, man is used generically, man and woman. If a person purifies himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. You can't fix me. I can't fix you. I can fix myself. Now, once I fix myself, and I really let God do the deep ransacking work in my soul, then I can be useful to another person because I'm not blaming them. I'm not all wrapped up in self-pity. I'm not hiding my sin. I, why am I trying to help you? Because I love you. That's the only reason that I'm now trying to help you. Oh, no, you don't want to be doing that. Oh, that's going to be bad for you, for your kids. That's going to get you into financial trouble. Don't do that. Oh, you don't want to do that habit. No, 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 no. That's going to lead you to a bad place. Please, please don't, don't. It's a totally different thing than, you know, who do you think you are? Nobody's perfect. I saw you doing blah, 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 right? That's a person that has not. So I just really felt like this, this verse is going through my head all morning. Stop judging anyone. Until you judge yourself. Now, people that don't know the Bible take almost every verse out of context. There is a context for that. It isn't never make evaluations on anyone ever, which is how people who don't know the Bible like to rip that out of context and quote it. Don't you guys all love when you're misquoted? Well, I heard you said, da 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 da. You know, I heard you said that you would never work for, you know, the manager over there, you know, ever. No, I said I would never work for the manager over there ever if they gave me half the salary that they gave everybody else. You took that out of context. That was totally a misquotation. You have to, it's the same with Jesus' words. He doesn't say don't judge anyone ever. He says you can make judgments, helpful judgments. You can help other people, but deal with your soul first. So even before we begin, I, I, you know, we're, this is a room full of human beings and we all have the same problems, the same hangups. The devil always has the same attacks. But if you're a person who believes that your misery is caused by anyone outside of yourself, first and foremost, Jesus is telling you you're deceived. It's you. And if you would clean your house, you'd make space for the Holy Spirit of God to move in and for him to start doing wonderful things in your life. And then it's really fun to be able to help people because you love them overcome their issues as well. So anyway, I just really felt like the Lord wanted me to, uh, you know, someone, I really, this eye is not so good. This eye, I, I, I do this. I have an eye that I favor. Does anybody have that? Ever since I was a little kid, this eye is like a lazy eye. It doesn't focus as well. So a lot of times I'll do this. So I really only have one good eye. So if this is in my eye, I'm like, hey, Dom, come up here, dude. You got something. In, I think there's a hair. I think there's a hair in your, come here. Come here. You're going to tell you are nuts. You are crazy. You're insane. You have no capacity to take the hair out of my eye because 
Jesus doesn't say you're resting it against your eye. It is embedded in your head. And it's not a two-by-four, a piece. It's a beam from a house embedded in your head. He says, get that sucker out. So, we'll start with that. And let's pray. God, please, like the psalmist says, search me, know me. Lord, see if there's any hurtful way in me. My problems are not everyone else's fault, Lord God. I participated. I made my decisions. I made my bad choices. Cleanse my hands. Purify my heart. My will can only invite you into my life. So I'm inviting you into my life to have your way because you want to bless me. So have your way, Lord God, in my heart. Let me stop pointing the finger and just open up my heart and let your spirit do the cleaning that needs to happen in my soul. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now you want to hear a sermon? Or is that good enough? Should we close and go home? Okay. Um, let's see here. I was going over First John the other day. Anybody in here doing any memorization in First John or have done any memorization in First John? Let's see. Hi. Put your hands up high. Done more than five verses in a row in First John. Good. Okay. About 10, 15 of you. Some of you have done the whole book, I would assume. So, uh, all right, I got to go to my um, U version Bible here. Sorry for the delay. I'm going to go to 1 John. My launch off verse will be 2 3. By this, we know that we have come to know him by this. Any of you guys ever struggle with assurance of your salvation? Do I belong to God? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? Am I really his? Could I be one of the deceived people that Matthew 25 is talking about? Matthew 7 you know, talking about that think they belong to God and they really don't. Could that? I sure have in my life. I struggled with that. So first John says, well, I wrote this whole book so you would know because there's a surefire test. And it's not visions of angels or speaking in tongues or even some doctrinal formula or whatever. He said there's a, there's a, a mark that's on, on the way you live your life that will guarantee, it's a guarantee to you, that you belong to God. And later on, he says, if you have this, you can assure your heart before God, no matter what your, you know, the crazy accusations that are going through your mind. Uh, in this, we can assure heart before God and whatever, we're condemned, Right. Whatever we feel those con condemning thoughts, if you have this going on in your life. But here he says, we know by this, we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Oh, no. I heard that there's something like 613 commands in the Old Testament. I got to keep all those. Do I have to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem? Do I have to stop eating pork? I love ham sandwiches and pork rinds. Do I have to stop eating pork? Do I have to like not have cotton poly? You know, they had all these Old Testament laws. How many laws? How many rules do I got? Well, there's two. There's two. And we'll get there in a minute because John takes his sweet time in First John getting there. Well, what are they, John? For Pete's sakes, what are the what are the commandments? We're already in verse. We're chapter two where he's saying this. By this, we know if we keep his commandments. Well, what are the commandments? Well, then we go to 
I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. Well, what is it? It's the old commandment. It's the words you've heard. Come on, man. What are you doing to me here? It's the old word. It's a word. On the other hand, I am writing you a new commandment, which is new in him and in you. So, okay, it's something you've been saying all along, but now somehow it's taken to a new level as followers of Jesus. What in the world is it? And this is how you know you're his. So let's jump over to third. There's only five chapters, and he waits all the way till the third chapter before he tells us. Oh, wait a minute. That's not even the right passage. Where is that? 3, 10, and 11. Let's see. I got the wrong one. Oh, here it is. No, it begins in 11. This is the message you've had from the beginning. We should love one another. So I said there's two. The first one is believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means believe in Jesus as the Bible teaches Jesus. First John also says there's a whole bunch of false Jesuses out there. Anyone in here realize that they went to a false Jesus church growing up? Three and a half, four, five. A Jesus that didn't line up with the Jesus in the New Testament? Jesus said false Christ and false prophets are going to rise and deceive many. First John says that the world's full of antichrists, which some people think it means opposed to Christ. It can also mean instead of Christ, counterfeit Christ. So the commandment is simply that we love one another. This is his commandment, verse 23, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded. If you love people, if your life is obsessed with doing good for others, Oh, that sounds really hard. Well, if it sounds really hard, you were never born again. Because it's not just really hard if you're not born again. It's impossible. Before you're born again, you are hardwired for selfishness. All you care about is yourself and you and yours and your survival and your comfort and getting ahead. And that's the source of all of our sin. And Jesus says, unless some person's born again, they can't see the kingdom of heaven. And what John is saying is when a person is truly born again, the mark will be, they live for others. That's really the whole message of the whole book, five chapters of First John. But uh, to get a little deeper understanding of what this commandment entails, we can. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. But we also we can also see it a lot of places in the New Testament. Let's see here. I'm going to go back to Matthew. Chapter 22. So some religious, super-duper smart expert in verse 35. It says a lawyer. This is not a Harvard lawyer. This is not a Yale lawyer. This is a guy who's an expert in the mosaic, as in Moses, not mosaic as in artwork made of pieces of glass. As in written by Moses, they're an expert Moses is the foundation of the entire scripture. He wrote the first five books, and everything that comes after is built on what Moses wrote. This is an expert in that law. But uh, a lawyer, 
asked him a question saying, teacher, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is a great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we love God. We love others. This is all that's required of us. And if you're doing this, you're in. And if you're not, you're out. And elsewhere in 1 John, he says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. There's a lot of people who think they're born again, and they're selfish, and they're mean, and they're greedy, and they, they're, they don't want to help others. And uh, scripture says they're deceived. It's, there's a, I think it's Titus where it says they profess God with their mouth, but by their deeds they deny him. But the miracle of, of regeneration has happened in your soul that you're touched by the Holy Spirit is proven by the fact that you live a life of compassion and kindness and you care for other people. You know that that person has the spirit of Christ because they act like Christ. This is the proof. So you have right doctrine, which means you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, and you have trusted in him for forgiveness. You've asked him to come into your life. He's put his spirit in you. And then what happens? Now you're learning day by day to act more and more like him. You tell the truth. You're more and more generous. Now, nobody's perfect at this day one. I mean, we're all lousy. Probably a lot of us have been at it for a long time. We're like, man, there's still some stuff I'm pretty lousy at. But John says his commandments aren't burdensome anymore. Why? Because he put his spirit inside of you. One of the reasons I felt compelled to bring all this up was because yesterday during seminar, we had a discussion about um, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Who is there? Or Zooming. Yeah, it was great, and I didn't do it. It was really great. And basically, the scripture, Jesus said, when I go back to my Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going, to, he's going to give my followers a supernatural touch from heaven. And a lot of people get distracted by the fact that they can have power, and then they forget what the whole game is about. Why were you put here on planet Earth? What is the game? We're in a game. Maybe just like a big Monopoly box or game of life. Probably the game of life would be the more appropriate one. We're in the game of life, but the game of life as you know, it comes from Hasbro. That's those aren't the rules. That's not the real game. What's the objective? The objective is for you to connect with God and then for you to fulfill your created purpose, which is what? To become like Jesus, who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So I was just, I had so many things going on in my mind this morning, but one of them was, as you guys, a lot of you guys got really fired up and, and were excited about having that supernatural touch from God on your life so you can now do supernatural things, which makes being a Christian much more fun because it's a reality. You can go from being a dry, yeah, pretty miserable person who's trying to follow God to literally somebody who has like the spiritual Midas touch and people are getting saved and people are being blessed and you're encouraging people and your prayers are being answered. And Jesus said, this is part of what true believers are supposed to be expecting from God. But if we lose sight of the overall game, which is I'm supposed to be conformed to the image of God's son, which means I'm supposed to be loving. Uh, 
people get distracted and they think this is just so that I can do tricks. And so this was another, uh, boy, I'm, I just got to be honest with you guys. I'm having a hard time today. I feel like I'm like, can you pray for me? Pray for me real quick. Yeah, just pray for me. Lay it on me here. Let's go. Yeah, Father, we come before Jesus' name. And uh, yeah, Father, I just pray in Jesus' name. You help me to think clearly. I don't need to impress anyone, Father. But I need your grace. I need your word to come through me. I need you to pierce hearts. So I pray in Jesus' name you would break the power of the evil over this place, over the hearts and minds here. You put your Holy Spirit in me in the fire. We love you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, Lord, we expect in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so I had so many things like swimming through my mind. I was just like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even narrow it down. And it started with First John. And it started with this confirmation that we can know. And then it moved into this, why, why does God give us supernatural power for service and it's so that we can be his representatives um, and we can be like his son so now I want to uh, what does it mean then what does it mean then to love what does it mean then to uh Another passage in the Gospels where Jesus goes into this and he confirms it's in Luke chapter 10. And this is the, what does it look like to act like Jesus? What does it look like to manifest his ways? What is the confirmation that you truly belong to God? There's a parable that uh, lays it out the Christian ethic more clearly than any other parable in the New Testament. And I already said Luke chapter 10, so a lot of you know that we're talking about the, the Good Samaritan. So again, you have one of these super smart lawyers pressing Jesus. This begins in verse 25. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in your law? How does it read to you? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So once again, and then if we looked in Matthew 22, this is, this is Luke 10, but if we looked in Matthew 10, uh, 22, Jesus said, everything God ever said hangs on these rules, on these laws. And this, is, this uh, quotation comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So this guy's like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean then to, and, and what he really does is says, who's my neighbor? Is it, I came from a Baptist, or is it the Baptist? Certainly not the Muslims. I mean, they're, it's not the Buddhists. Probably not even the liberal, it's not the Methodists, because they've lost it, right? Who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells this story. And again, this is the mark that you're truly born again. It's not that you went forward, that you got baptized, that you prayed a little sinner's prayer, which probably everybody in this room did this several times. What's the mark? Jesus tells a story. Maybe I should summarize it. And to make it contemporary, it's, it's called the Good Samaritan. And Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other. 
And it would be similar, I guess you could say, in um, Ireland, Protestants and Catholics don't like each other. They kill each other, bomb each other's establishments, right? In uh, Rwanda, I've been to Rwanda, the Hutus and the Tutsis don't like each other. And the Hutus murdered a million. Uh, they look pretty much the same. They just, we just, we're just into hating people, right? Uh, no matter who you are. It doesn't matter. In our country, we're always like black and white. We're always thinking, that, well, that's an easy, but it could be white on Native American. It could be black on Korean. It, but even during the slave trade, with blacks selling other blacks to the whites. And we just, we just hate each other as human beings. Well, back in the day, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. So Jesus said, okay, who's your neighbor? Who do you have to love? Who's, what's going to prove that you really belong to God? Let me tell you a little story. What does it mean to love my neighbor? He said, okay, we got a Samaritan and we got a Jew. And the Jew's on a business trip and he gets the crud beat out of him. And he's lying on the road dying. And a priest walks by him. And then a Levite walks by him. And those are, it'd be like an, a, a pastor. A pastor, to, to, you, just to make it easy, two pastors. They basically walk by, dude's bleeding out all over the road. No, it's just a Samaritan. No, I mean, it, I mean it's a, actually, it's a Jew with a fellow Jew. But they're like, the dude's dying anyway. Well, I don't want to get my clothes dirty. I'm on my way to a business meeting, you know, and I have to teach this compassion seminar, and I, I don't want to be late for that. So uh, the, the Jews walk by their fellow Jew, and then a Samaritan comes by, which the best equivalent would probably be if we lived in the Jim Crow South, where whites oppressed and made black people's lives miserable, maybe two Southern Baptist ministers walking by another Southern Baptist. Well, the dude's dead anyway. Uh, maybe he's a plantation owner, right? Uh, or, or his relatives were. And now he's just just part of that whole white establishment. And, and then a black guy walks by. And it says that this guy, you can read it yourself, gives up two days' wages which if you're working at Sonic, a couple hundred bucks, you know, you've got a bigger time job, you're a lawyer, you a thousand bucks. Let's assume the guy made a decent living. He, I mean, put some serious money down for this guy, put him in an inn, took care of all of his needs. Did he walk by him and he let his heart be moved for him? He should, I mean, in America, black, white, you know, just a lot of, I mean, got this whole last several years, the riots and all that. But we could go anywhere. We could, again, we could go to Rwanda. We could go to Ireland. Just mix up the racial groups or the ethnic groups or the tribal groups. I go to Africa all the time. Everybody looks identical. But at election time, in any country, sub-Saharan, you can have people taking up machetes and hacking up their neighbors. It's tribal. And the people know what tribe they're from, and they may look the same, but we just like to hate each other. So anyway... God says, look, all your hatred boundaries have to come down. Everyone's your neighbor. And where you see human suffering, you let your heart be moved, and you go get involved. This is what you were created for. This is, and this is why we have to be born again, right? Because we too, it doesn't have to be racial or ethnic or tribal. We just like to hate people. It could be my stepfather who cheated on my mom or whatever, or my, my uncle who molested me or whatever. Well, he deserves it. Or my boyfriend who cheated on me in high school or my friends who ruined my reputation or my business partner who 
whatever, or I just don't like the way that person looks. And God says, well, if you're my kid, all those come down. So, so this lawyer says, what does it mean to love? And you said, okay, let me, let me deal with the ethnic issue that's raw to you guys. The group you hate the most, think about your people walking past one of your people and one of those people that you hate crossing the line, letting himself be moved in the guts, bending himself on behalf of that person. If you do that, that proves that you're right with God. You don't do that to become right with God. Forget about that, because we can't. Okay, let's get really raw. What about Nazi? Yeah, we could do that. What about a Jew helping a Nazi prison guard? Impossible. Human beings can't do that. Of course it's impossible. That's why you have to be born again. So then when you get an infusion of that spirit and you start to conform your life to that way of living, God says, this is super cool. I don't just want you to do this on your own power. I am going to unleash the power of the resurrection in you. So now you can do supernatural things. If you're going to cross those boundaries because you love me, because you know me, because my spirit is in you, I'm going to, if you know that it's there and you take it, you got to know it's there and take it. I'm going to put a supernatural anointing on your life. And when I tell the unregenerate can't even hear this. I remember watching Oprah when I was younger, and Oprah was sexually abused. That's pretty well known. And I remember her on a show saying, there's some things you just cannot forgive. And I said, Oprah, you don't know Jesus. In the flesh there is, of course there is. But in the spirit, when we receive the spirit of God, the God who bridged the gap, like Philippians 2 says, and became one of us, let us spit on him and kill him. Why? Because somebody had to help us. We were that beat up, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the man on the road to Jericho. We were there. We were dying on the side of the road. The only one who could help us was Jesus. He's like, hey, I'll, I'll get down there. I'll do it. They're not going to be able to help one another. They're all headed for hell. They're all helpless. They're all under the oppression of the evil one. First John says this, that, Jesus, that the Son of Man came to the world to destroy the works of the devil. He was the only one that could do it. So he bridged this gap. Creator God, infinite God, worshiped by angels day and night, can speak galaxies into existence. He becomes one of us to meet our need. This is, you want to see the ethic? The ethic is the Good Samaritan. This is the proof. This is what love looks like. And I love the Good Samaritan because I, I've said this before. It's like a nut. It's like a nut that Jesus cracks open. He says, okay, you really want to know what love's all about? Here. It has two parts. First of all, when you have God's love and you, you feel it. It's not because a person deserves it. It's just because they're suffering. First of all, you feel it. And then you let that move you to action. So compassion, Greek word splunk, nisomai. Action, word is elias. So the Hebrew would be rachum, compassionate, and the key word chesed, of course. Feel it and move. For God so loved the world, he felt it, that he moved. He gave his only begotten son. You belong to God, you have that same spirit in you. That's the proof. That's how you know. It's so not can you quote a stack of assurance of salvation verses, which you should be able to. 
It's that the life of Christ is manifested in you. And then the talk that Ty gave, I just thought was so great. But I don't want you guys to be enamored with the ability to do supernatural things. Why is God giving you this supernatural touch? Because he wants to. This is a doctrine that's been kept out of the church for almost, well, a century in some parts of the church. It used to be taught everywhere. Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterians, everybody used to teach this. You could have a supernatural touch from heaven, and then somehow it disappeared. So I'm asking you guys to read all these old books. Why does God want to give you the supernatural touch? And some of you guys, even listening to me, maybe you're Zoom, you're like, this guy's preaching wacky and the devil's like, yes, keep keep running with that, and you can just continue being a weak, ineffective Christian. God wants to give you this touch from heaven so you can love supernaturally. So I don't see someone suffering and say, gee, I wonder how much money I have in my wallet. What's my credit card limit? I guess that's what... No, it's like you have the resources of heaven. Boy, this person is discouraged. I'll say some encouraging words. Come on, slugger, you can do it right? No, how about I speak anointed, very words of God to their soul? You ever ever have that happen to you? Somebody have anointed words spoken to you, and someone was speaking at you, and it was just like the Lord was speaking to you. Because I don't want you to rely on your own strength. I want you to. So that's what this is for. So it's combining. What's the game about? The game is about love. That's what it's about. It's not about doctrine. It's not about getting every little I dotted and T crossed. The older I get, the more I realize the doctrinal stuff can be pretty fuzzy and we're pretty dumb little things. So beyond the fact that God loves us, God sent his son to die for us. We're sick, twisted, hideous, disgusting, blasphemous little monsters who need a heart transplant. And Jesus died for us to forgive us and so that we could be filled with the spirit and made good. And then we have some clear guidance from the scripture about what good looks like, which means feeling for others and getting active into their situation. Take care of the orphan. Take care of the widow. Sit down with that homeless person on the street. Tell that fatherless kid that he has potential. You know, Be a surrogate dad or an uncle for that kid. Kid, no one's going to throw the ball with him. You go throw the ball with him. You know, No one's going to have the talk with him. You go have the talk with him. Orphans overseas is going to... I mean, that's what got me overseas to help... With AIDS orphans, 25 million kids stumbling around the street. What would Jesus do? He'd get on a plane and get over there and build some orphanages and help figure out this mess. That's what this is all about. So I was just I was just reading through first John. He's like, this is how you know that you're on the team. Because you reflect the God who made you. That's not how I think of God. It's because you're deceived. The God in your head isn't God. That's like that's why Muslims fly planes into buildings. They that's they, that's what their God demands of them. Some some people's conception of God demands human sacrifice. I mean, they're twisted, they're sick. Who is God? God manifested himself in Jesus Christ. That's what God looks like. You're created in the image of God. That's what you're supposed to look like. Why does God touch you with that supernatural power? So you can live all out for his glory. And so that people can know that God, you're the light. You're the light and in this dark, twisted, dying world. So it's interesting. First John basically tells us the exact same thing 
that the um, parable of the Good Samaritan tells us. The Good Samaritan tells us that this man's walking by a suffering person. He feels it deeply in his guts. Do you turn the channel when uh, the starving kids come up? Right? Do you, like, not look at the homeless person who's stumbling around? So in 1 John, he says, if anyone has the world's goods, he gets really practical. But this is exactly the Good Samaritan paradigm. He says, if, if anyone has the world's goods and he beholds his brother in need and he shuts down his compassion, same root. In Good Samaritan, it was the verb, splonknizomai. It's just splonk now. It's the noun. But shuts down your compassion. You walk by that suffering person, you don't feel anything, and you don't do anything. Just how does the love of God abide in that person? He's basically saying you're not born again. He says, let us not love with word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. We'll know by, again, he goes on, we'll know by this we're the truth. So this is the this is the challenge. Is this you? Have you gotten over this? Are you still pointing at everybody else? Is your are all your problems because of your bad parenting and your you know mom and dad or I just didn't have or never had enough money or opportunities? I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. I didn't get the same opportunity. My parents loved my brother more than me. Whatever. Are you done with that? And able to, what you need to do is look at Jesus. Look at his heart, his love. He's compassionate. He laid it all down for everybody else. This is what you're created for. This is freedom. This is life. The uh, evangelistic group. Who has gone out on the, with the evangelistic group to the uh, college? Let's see your hands. Okay, handful of you guys. They'll put up a uh, sign, and, and last week it was, what is love? And they'll just engage people in a conversation. People don't have a clue. They don't have a clue what love is. You're created to love, that's what... But Scripture says that, that Jesus Christ was light that shines in the darkness and the world didn't comprehend it. He brought a kind of love into this world that the, that the world doesn't have. It is a self-sacrificing love that will lay everything down for another person. And it's supernatural. And it comes from outside of us. And Jesus perfectly displayed it. And so, first of all, if we're going to get right with God, we have to look at Jesus and we have to say, that's what I was created for. I was created to be that good Samaritan every single day. I study the Bible in the morning so that I can know what it looks like. And then I pray because I'm going to start my day by praying over people that I love. I'm going to start by God bless this person. God set this person free from this addiction. God help this person get right with you. So I start my day studying what Jesus looks like. Then I begin by praying. And then I'm open to his guiding me by his spirit to then get involved in a lot of different people's lives. You know, that really difficult person at work, become their friend. <laughs> all right. All right. You mean the one that just chews everybody out is really, yeah. Why don't you buy him a gift? Okay. I'll give it a, why don't you compliment them? After what they said to me yesterday, you just do it. Break into their darkness with a love that they don't deserve. You know, 
some of you guys, big brother, big sister program, you know, scripture, sometimes uh, like an older person on your block can't take care of themselves. Just love, just get out there and love. Just that's what proves that the spirit of God is in you. So you look at Jesus, he woke up in the morning. That's all he did all day long. Served, gave, what do you need? Let me help you. And then he had to go get by himself because he was so wrung out. Some of our religious, most of our religion is a completely selfish quest. I want to get to heaven. So I'm going to do stuff. And then God's going to be obliged to give me a mansion in heaven and let me through the pearly gates. And that is a lost person who says that. Why should you get to heaven? Because I've been good enough. Oh, so it's all about you. So you, if you could get away with all this wickedness and still get in, well, of course. Well, who wouldn't? That proves you're still a sick, twisted monster. You're still, you haven't been healed. You were created to be generous, to be full of the Spirit of God. And so then God touches you with his supernatural power so you can get out and do supernatural things. But before this happens, we have to compare ourselves to Jesus. Have you ever compared yourself to Jesus? Everybody he walked by, he let himself feel what they were going through. The end of Matthew 9, it says when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them, which really means he was moved in his guts. He went, oh, he looked at, he said, because they were, he ripped up and thrown down like sheep without a shepherd. And so then he just went around all the time meeting their needs. If your Christianity is about you, about getting your mansion in heaven, it's about whatever, finding peace, being happy, financial success. You're missing the point. Christianity is about having a heart transplant because we're selfish, twisted little monsters. We don't love like God loves. Asking him to forgive us for malfunctioning so badly. Asking him to fill us with his spirit. And then after that, saying, now give me that supercharge so that when I go love that homeless person or I go take, I go mentor that homeless fatherless kid or I go overseas or I preach the gospel or I pray for something, something supernatural happens. This is the game. This is this is the game we're in. So John says, so I wrote this book. Do you understand the game we're in? Are you playing it right? Because if you are, supernatural things are going to be happening around you. Things are going to be changing. And we're going to be that, you're going to be that city on the hill. So this is his commandment, that you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded. It's interesting in First John, there are no miracles. He doesn't say anything about miracles. You don't have to do miracles. You have to have that loving heart of compassion. You have to see somebody suffering. And Have you done anything for anyone this week that proves that you're his? Cops come in, they arrest us all. They take us all down to the, you know, police station, and we're put on trial. Your case comes up. This person trying to convict them of being a Christian, and the scripture says, the proof is they believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they love as Jesus loved. Are they taking care of orphans, taking care of widows, and hanging out with lepers? Not leopards, not a zookeeper. Lepers? Social pariahs? Are they helping prostitutes get out of the sex trade? Are they helping reprobates in society like the tax collectors? Do they have friends that are really rotten sinners, drug addicts that they're leading out 
Have they actually successfully led them out? This is the mission. So right now, God is, is moving in power. God's moving right now in revival. And uh, I, we, we need to understand the overall game plan. Do you, do you understand the game plan? Do you know why he's coming in power? Do you know why he wants to anoint you? It's not so you feel better about yourself, so you feel validated, so you're... He wants to put that supernatural power on there so you can uh, on you so you can go out and reap his harvest and love as he loves. So yeah, that's what I got for you this morning. And we ended, I, I was expecting to have communion because we're supposed to have communion today. And um we're done a little bit early. And communion is a great time for us to evaluate our souls, but we can have pretend communion, right? We won't really be pretend because we'll actually be doing it. Why do we do communion? We do communion because we think about what Christ has done for us. There's the bread, there's the wine. The bread is the vision of his body torn for us. Why was his body torn for you? Because you were a sick, twisted monster who cared about no one but yourself. I wasn't so bad. Oh yeah, I've got the video on my phone of all your darkest moments. And then we'll watch it together. Right? All your darkest deeds, darkest thoughts. Yeah, God gave me the thoughts too. I don't really, I'm just... We'll watch that together and then you can tell me how selfless and wonderful and generous and Christ-like you really are. And not only that, Jesus is sitting, he's joined us today. He's on the front row and he's going to watch it with us. And so you're not just going to convince me, you're going to convince him about how amazingly generous and worthy you are. Your mouth is closed. You do like Job did. You put your hand over your mouth. None of us have any excuse. His body was torn because we are selfish and we need a heart transplant. We need to be born again. We need to be forgiven. His body was torn so we could be forgiven. Have you experienced his forgiveness? Have you owned what you are, who you are? Have you stopped pointing the finger? Stop it. Be like Isaiah in the temple. Woe is me. I, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, right? I need the fixing. I open you up to do the work of, you know, welcome you to do the work of my heart. And his blood was shed. Because you deserve punishment. You deserve to have your blood shed. So when we do communion, that's what we're doing. We're remembering that, how foul we were, the fact that he forgave us and then he infused his spirit into us so that we could be generous and giving and kind and loving. And we could be that source of life to people who are dying all around us. But we don't have the bread and the wine, so we can do a little worship song. You just think, do that self-evaluation. We don't need bread and wine to do that self-evaluation. Examine yourself. Is there anything getting in the way of that? Are you, are, are you ready to live that life with abandon? So examine your heart. And then for some of you guys, you're like, God, I'm, I'm all in. I, I'm holding back nothing. And you need to pray, God, send that supernatural empowering of your Holy Spirit on my life because I'm ready to start being a wonder-working Holy Spirit hurricane. The church has not been teaching this for 100 years in some quarters. I'm just telling you guys, 
I praise God that 19 years old, I got a hold of the right books. I, I don't know Christianity without the supernatural. Some people are like, oh, it's so dry. It's so frustrating. It's so 19 years old. I, I was still half crazy. But I was all in, and I found out that there was more. And God could touch us with power. And I said, God, I want it. So for some of you guys, man, some there's someone in here who needs to just be straight born again this morning because you've been doing this Christianity thing all wrong. Well, jump in. But for a lot of you guys, you we need to get clarity, and then we need it again next week and the week after that and the day after that, right, about what this is all about. We need to re-surrender to that vision. But then for some of you guys, like, all right, God, let's get down and do this thing. Go out and reap that harvest. Let's go all out. Let's be like that first century church and live all out for your glory. So touch me with your spirit. So wherever you're at, let's just, yeah, since we have some time, we can stand up, do a worship song or two, but do your business with God. Um, yes, yeah, so let's start there. So just stand up and let's worship God together.